1: And welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli coming at you with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario. Is absolutely positively, unequivocally, undoubtedly, unquestionably convinced that the Jazz are going to host the first round playoff series (laughs) at home. Co host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started today, and I'm not even going to divulge the contents of the pod for another like 35 to 90 seconds, I just want to remind implore, beg, and plead with everyone to continue rating and reviewing and subscribing to us on iTunes. We can also be found wherever else you get your podcasts, whether that's Art19, Spotify, Stitcher, BlogTalk, Spreaker. We are everywhere and anywhere you need us. But to let us know that you're out there, that you're listening, throw us a five-star rating on iTunes. It takes 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. If you haven't subscribed, certainly do that already. And please leave us comments in the reviews. We read them. If you have suggestions, um, if there are episodes that you would like to see, questions that you have, you obviously could get at us on Twitter. He's at Andrew D. Bailey. I'm at Dan F-A-V-A-L-E. F-A-V-A-L-E. But Also, do that in the iTunes comment section. We are always monitoring those, and if you have good ideas or good questions or just something you'd like to see or or feedback, we will certainly work on it or take it into account. With all that aside, before we even get to what we're doing in this podcast, we have to ask, because we have to know. Andy, how are you today?
0: I'm good. Um, Excited to jump into, uh, I don't know if I should spoil it or you should, what we're doing today.
1: Spoil it. We're doing all Dirk everything. (laughs)
0: Um, So since last week, we did the biggest uh, underachieving teams, and we did overachievers last week too, but we're going to focus on individual players this time, and we're going underrated. Um, So what we did is scoured the entire NBA top to bottom, uh, turned over every little rock we could find, Um, We each have our most underrated players teams, or all underrated players, I guess I should say. For the East and West, um, we did the same position format as the all Star, so two guards, three front court for each conference. Uh, We had a little bit of criteria. The players cannot have made an All-Star team, an All-NBA team, or won a postseason individual award. Um, so that narrowed the field for us a little bit. And it makes sense because they're probably not terribly underrated if they have achieved one of those things at some point in their career. I, Rudy I Gobert is like,
1: right now. What's that? Rudy Gobert is drowning right now. Yeah.
0: Rudy Gobert was one of the first names that came to mind for me, of course, as you're all stunned to hear. But then we came up with the uh, those disqualifiers. So I think I have a, a pretty solid underrated team still. Uh, And I am excited to share them with you.
1: The other thing that I use, and I think we were in lockstep with this, is like we were trying to, it's not even just about the criteria we set, but trying to just give shine to players that might need more of it. Like I went back and forth with you about Pascal Siakam is a good example. I think that he, there are probably still people that don't realize how like he can dribble and create his own shot and isn't so dependent on Kyle Lowry or Kawhi Leonard, but I think that his... He has like the reputation now to where I wouldn't. He could be included, but I did not include him on a list like this. And that's like my sort of go-to example for that.
0: I have a, I have a few that you're gonna say, <laughs> you're gonna LeBron, James. Kevin What's that?
1: <laughs> Are they LeBron James and Kevin Durant, <laughs> Kyrie
0: Not quite, um, but there. I mean, there's at least one guy that's been notoriously known as underrated for a while, but I, I still went with him.
1: That's fine. Um, I think I could guess who he is. And if, you know, if he doesn't have any career, all NBA or all star selections, if I, if I think it is who you're noting. So I showed Andy my teams. He didn't show me his because he hates me and doesn't think that I deserve the <laughs> I had, luxury of knowledge.
0: I had a couple of them in the spreadsheet last night, and I thought, no, I'm going to surprise him.
1: All right. So why don't you start us off then so I could just be shocked?
0: <laughs> uh, I'll start in the Eastern Conference. Um, let me pull up the doc. I'm gonna fill it in as we go just to blow your mind. Um, my eyes east- are gonna be
1: like tripping <laughs> as they pop up. My
0: first east guard. Um, I'm gonna go with Eric Bledsoe for my first east guard. Now, this is a guy that's I think gotten a decent amount of, of attention over the course of his career. Um, However, I, I feel like he still had a pretty underrated season, and here's why. I, I think it's sort of the consensus that Chris Middleton is the number two guy on the Bucs. Uh, and offensively, I think that's probably true. Um, he's he's their second leading scorer, so that lends itself to that. But <clears throat> here are some Eric Bledsoe numbers I looked up last night. First of all, he is the Bucks' second best player by... Uh, the average rankings that I do. So if you sort everybody by the average of their ranks in ten catch-alls, Bledsoe is twentieth in the entire NBA. Um, he's been flirting with like all NBA level play by that system all season long. Their defense is two points better when Bled- two points per hundred possessions better when Bledsoe's on the floor, and this is the one that really stood out to me. Um, when Bledsoe is on the floor and Giannis is off the floor. Milwaukee is plus 10 points per hundred possessions, which is in the 95th percentile. Um, he's, and it was not an insubstantial sample size either. It was over a thousand possessions. The The fact that he's able to carry these non Giannis units to a net rating that effective is really impressive to me. Um, a lot of people are talking about the, the bucks are in deep trouble for the playoffs now that Malcolm Brogdon's out. And I think there's some truth to that. Uh, but Bledsoe has just been ridiculous all season long. Um he's he's my first guard.
1: I mean, I think that's a solid pick. There was he's I've never seen him play more consistent defense wire-to-wire wire in a season. Yeah. And that's maybe Clippers and Suns fans could speak more to that having probably watched him more game-to-game game basis, but um just from memory or maybe maybe last year's playoffs where he just submitted to Terry Rozier points is too fresh in my mind, but I, I think that's a solid pick. And I would still say that Chris Middleton's their second most important player, but I do think that this season, I don't even know if there's really an argument that Chris Middleton has been their second best player. I think that that's definitely been um, Eric Bledsoe.
0: All right, you're with me. My,
1: I'm going to go with my first guard, and I'm wondering if you ended up picking him too, but uh, Thomas Adaransky, uh is on my Eastern Conference guard stuff. He's like... There are things that he can't do, and you don't want him as the primary facilitator. I don't think on your team you want him next to another shot creator. Um, He can be a little sloppy when he's running pick and rolls, but he's just really good. He's shooting 70% uh, at the rim. The lineups where him and Bradley Beal have played without John Wall this season are pumping in 114.4 points per 100 possessions. The defense is not good in those minutes, but Washington has been... Uh, a relative crap show on that end for much of much of this season. They've sort of stabilized lately, but their schedule has helped with that. But he just seems like someone you want on your team. And he's his restricted free agency is something that's going to be very interesting to me. Because you're looking at a guy, um, he's shooting above 40% from three for the second consecutive season. Doesn't take a ton of them, but he's someone who can just stand there and kind of hit – uh, knock down shots off the catch, but uh, he's a pretty good cutter. He's going to move without the ball. And again, if he's your secondary ball handler, where he's not the primary focus of a defense in the half court, or you can get him out in transition a little bit, I really like what what he's able to do. And just, again, to have that, we, we talk about what Bradley Beal's been able to do, but Thomas Edoransky's averaging more than six assists per 36 minutes for the second consecutive season as well. Uh, he can get you um, some good defensive rebounds against certain matchups. And the fact that he's bigger, at 6'7, and yet he's not really, you don't want him defending actual wings, but to have that type of size in the backcourt is certainly a big deal. And to step on to what I said, I am wondering. He is 27, gonna be 28 basically by the start of next season at the end of October. I wanna see what he gets in restricted free agency because he's a guy that I don't know if you necessarily want him on a rebuilding team, but if someone like Chicago or someone like Phoenix um, carved out the cap space to make an aggressive offer, He doesn't screw up your rebuild because he's not going to take touches away from a Zach Levine or a Wendell Carter Jr. or or Larry Markiton. He's not going to take touches away from Devin Booker. He just fits. He feels like he's one of those plug-and-play playmakers, which are kind of tough to find when you're looking at the backcourt specifically.
0: That last part is kind of what I was going to focus on um, in response. He's – this might sound like a slight to him in some way, but – he does the fact that he doesn't command the ball quite like a John Wall point guard, I think, is what makes him unique and maybe even a little bit better suited to Bradley Beal um, than John Wall is because he's, he doesn't have the same sort of like single game ceiling as a John Wall. He's not going to have a 30 point, 17, 18 assist game like John Wall can. Um, but he just does a lot of little things that will supplement a player like Bradley Beal. Um, he gets those assists. He, he will, you know, space the floor and hit threes, um, which is just incredibly important. He's got size to defend multiple multiple positions, as you said. Um, so I think he's a really solid pick and I was definitely tempted to go there, but I did not. Ooh. (laughs) So my second guard. In the East, this is another guy that's, he's he's actually had this label for probably much of his career. Um, but I went with Danny Green from the Toronto Raptors, who has just been Mr. Steady Hand now for, I don't know, how, how long was he in San Antonio? Five or six years plus this season in Toronto. He just pretty much always gives you exactly what you expect. Um, this season, I had this pulled up last night, but I decided to... uh not write it down because it would change since the Raptors played last night um I am looking up total plus minus it'll take a second to load live podcasting so after last night I'm glad I waited um he was fourth in the NBA in total plus minus this morning he's second um he is plus 536 this season Giannis Antetokounmpo is first at plus 585 um whether it was with the Spurs or this season with the Raptors, it's just whenever he's on the floor, things seem to run a little bit smoother. He can defend multiple positions. Um, He's obviously a great floor spacer. He's shooting 43.7% on 5.4 three-point attempts per game this season. Um, He's very versatile as a defender. There are 273 players in NBA history with 10,000-plus minutes and averages of one-plus block and one-plus steal per 75 team possessions. Um, the average height of that list, can you guess what it is?
1: The average height? So you didn't exclude any positions? Nope.
0: 6'9". Uh, oh, very good. 6'9". Um, Danny Green is one of 18 guys on that list who's 6'6 six, six or shorter. So the fact that he he can get steals, blocks, hits threes, um he's just solid he doesn't make very many mistakes and he's doing that again with the Raptors this season I think he's providing exactly what they could have wanted I um I think we probably talked about this right after the trade happened that that was absolutely not a throw in <laughs> in that trip. that that made the deal so much better for Toronto and it, it, we were also talking about lineups last night is when they're healthy and they have all five of their guys in there uh Lowry Green Leonard siakam and whoever the center is going to be in the playoffs uh they're still a a very real contender to get to the finals to me
1: he is just he's one of the best as you sort of touched upon just the shot blocking guards in nba history and i don't know if he's at the same level where he was defensively a couple years ago but he's he's pretty close and i think the raptors will pay him if Kawhi leonard comes back but if if leonard leaves and it all of a sudden becomes open season on his free agency, as it might be anyway. Could you see a scenario in which he's getting more than the $10 million per year on the last contract that he signed with the Spurs that he's sort of coming off of?
0: How old is he? He's got to be mid-30s. Um, 32? I'm going to look it up real quick. He is 31. He's younger than I thought. Um, I, I think I could see him getting a little bit more than that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be real confident in it. I don't I, I don't think he's the kind of player um he just hasn't garnered enough attention in his career to get a huge deal I think at age 31. But I I think if some team has cap space and and wants to add just exactly what I've already been talking about, some guy that doesn't make mistakes, will guard a bunch of different players for you, um just do all all the little things from the guard position. I I could see him going uh slightly above that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he could clearly get the non-taxpayers mid-level exception, all of it, which is just over $9 million. Uh But I guess it's – I mean, you're right. The back end of that deal could look weird just because he doesn't really defend bigger wings. He's someone you want to put on point guards before you put on a bigger, say, small forward or just scoring wing. And I guess it's just when you look at how quick and small point guards are, that's not necessarily something – an aspect of your game that would age too well. But he's certainly a solid. He's like a – if we were to do this for a career – him and Mike Conley would just be like at the top of every list essentially. Yeah. For sure. Um my second guard is Joe Harris of the Nets. I think he comes relatively close to not making this list, but there are still too many people who think that he's just a shooting specialist, particularly after he won the three-point contest, and he is he's just dangerous when he's shooting. Uh his effective field goal percentage when he doesn't take a dribble, I'm going to give you an over under of 68. I'm say over, yeah, 70, which is the <laughs> second highest mark in the league among 129 players who've attempted at least 250 shots without taking the dribble. Who's first uh, without taking a dribble? What's that? Who's first? Uh, I don't really want to tell you because he's actually on my list oh, okay. still, but uh, you know what? He, I'm, I'm gonna tell you because he's basically surrounded by a bunch of big so Montrez Harrell is, is first, oh,
0: okay? That makes um, sense.
1: and so you're looking at you know Harrell can roll and he makes a lot of cuts stepping on the toes of what I was going to say about him eventually. Rudy Gobert is third, by the way, and Davis Bertans is fourth. DeAndre Jordan is fifth. So that just gives you an idea of what's around him. Danny Green, by the way, is sixth. Just throwing that out there, (laughs) Uh, making a case for you as well. But Joe Harris does a lot more. He's shooting almost 50% on drives. The Nets' defense is not great this year in general, but they play him a good amount at small forward. And their defense doesn't completely crap out in a lot of items where where he's at the three. And I know that's not the highest form of praise, but just overall, he's played almost 2,500 possessions at the three. The Nets' defensive rating is in the 65th percentile during that time, which again, isn't bad for someone who doesn't really have the traditional size. Mm-hmm. Uh, he works there. He's a better passer um, than people give him credit for. I don't think you're going to want him. He's made some nice dump offs on drives this year, but he just knows how to keep the ball moving if, if the shot or the lane's... Uh, not there he's up to this season which actually caught me off guard I didn't realize it was this high three assists per 36 minutes which is the second highest mark in his career it really the highest mark in his career shouldn't count it came during a five game uh, set with Cleveland in 2015-2016 before I think he was uh, injured I think that happened that season or waived, or whatever happened that year I really can't forget that seems like forever ago but he just does so much and he's someone like where Pascal Siakam's reputation, I think, has finally caught up to him. I don't think Joe Harris' is there quite yet. And maybe that's just because some people still underestimate the Nets. Maybe it's because guys like Karis LeVert, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, and D'Angelo Russell, of course, are getting more attention, even Jared Allen. But there were some skeptics who thought his two-year, $16 million deal that he signed with the Nets this offseason might have been a tick too high. We were not one of them by any means. And I won't say he's a bargain, but this is just someone who – I think if the Nets had wanted to at this trade deadline, and maybe even the next one, or maybe over the offseason, if they wanted to, I'm not saying they would, that you could easily get a first-round pick for him, which I think is a a pretty big deal to say. And again, I continue to just, not only his effort off the ball on offense, but he really does put in the, the effort and the hustle on the defensive end, even when sometimes the numbers don't translate. And to have someone who's you know, six, 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 five around that area and be able to play him at the three and know that your defense won't always get completely torpedoed, you know, give credit to Jared Allen and Ed Davis who are behind him a lot of the time. Uh, he's just, Joe Harris is just a super solid basketball player and you can count on him to make a a bunch of smart decisions.
0: And I say shout out to us because I think we've been on the Joe Harris is underrated, uh, train for a few years now. I, I remember talking about his driving numbers, um, Two years ago. Yeah, I mean, we were, I think we were
1: very early to that. So, pat on our back. Um, And here's, uh, first of all, I'm reluctant to give us a pat on our back just because you look at all the track record of us being wrong, but we're never wrong. (laughs) The other thing that caught me off guard so he's taken more contested looks than I thought this year. Um, About 37% of his looks this season have gone contested, where defenders within two to four feet. His effective field goal percentage in those situations is above 58 wow and he's shooting 43.8 percent on contested threes not a ton of volume there but again this is this is not just a guy who can catch and shoot i'm not saying he's a great shot creator but he he knows how to get uh his shot off over certain players he has he, he has a fairly quick release he's just he's that he's a fantastic fit not just for the nets but he's just someone you look at and play and say you know what this guy could pretty much thrive on any basketball team
0: did you hear him on the low post a couple weeks ago
1: yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah.
0: It was interesting. At one point, uh, Lowe asked him something like, um, what have you thought about expanding or adding to your game? And he was basically like, nothing. Um, <laughs> I I know what makes me successful in the NBA, and I'm just going to focus on that. That's not exactly how he said it, of course. But I thought that was um, really smart. I, I I wouldn't be opposed to players – trying to add more to their game. But I think there's something to be said for the guys who know what they can do and just become the, the absolute masters of those skills. Um, and especially if you're a guy like Joe Harris, where if you're, I mean, if you are a master of shooting and shooting off screens and, and shooting off the catch, um, he could have a very, very long and successful career, kind of like Kyle Corver. And that, like you said, I I think he has more chops as a guy who can get to the basket and, and play make a little bit than even Corver did. So um, he's, he's excellent. And I think he's in line for a pretty long and successful career.
1: Yeah. And it's not even necessarily about, I remember that how he said, he basically actually did say what you did. You didn't really butcher the words too much. It's just, if you're working on perfecting the, like your wheelhouse, some of the other stuff is going to come, you know, the, the people are going to have to respect your shots. You can pump fake and drive to the basket, which has helped him a lot over the past couple of years and then things like that. And when you're going to drive to the basket and people all of a sudden respect your finishing and they collapse on you, you're going to be able to make easier passes and and rack up your assists. And I do think some of it has to do with also, at least in in terms of the assists, oh, the Nets have better talent around him or some of their players are coming along. So when he does pass it off, uh, guys are going to hit shots. Whereas I think two years ago, there's probably a question of whether or not they do that.
0: All right, my first front court guy. Um, you might scoff at this one. We probably should have had another qualifier for contract size, but <laughs> I went with Otto Porter. Um, and here's here's my reasoning behind it. For the last couple full seasons that he had in Washington, by the advanced stats, there were some things that that suggested that he was, if not the best, the most impactful member of that big three with Porter, Wall, and Beal. Um, even I would have hesitated to say he was the best player of those three, but his impact was huge. He was sort of stifled for whatever reason at the start of this season. That that trio just was not working uh when John Wall was healthy, and so his numbers didn't look anywhere near uh as good as they did in the last couple seasons at the start of this one. Um, but for the last three seasons combined, he's averaging 16 points, seven rebounds, two assists, two threes, two steals. Um, per 75 team possessions, he has a 600 true shooting percentage. His box plus minus is like top 50, uh, in the league over those three seasons. And this season as a bowl. So since he's been traded, he's averaging almost 18 points, um, shooting 48% from the field, 49% from three and 91% from the line. He to me is like pretty much the prototype of that three, four, combo forward that so many teams want nowadays at the trade deadline. Here comes, here comes the jazz Homer. But, um, I just kept thinking over and over and over Utah is so much, it just runs so much smoother when Jay Crowder is out there because he provides some spacing, he can guard multiple positions. Um, and it was just, I just kept thinking Otto Porter would be those lineups sort of souped up. Um, he, he's just such a, solid fit in a modern NBA. I don't think he's going to play a ton of four in Chicago going forward, which is unfortunate. Um, They will understandably play Laurie Markinen and and Wendell Carter, a lot of those four or five minutes next season, but minutes with, with Porter at the four and either of Markinon or Carter at the five would be really, really interesting to me. I, I think just because I I actually think there's a lot of people out there who consider him overrated because of that contract but I I'm not sure and, and I'm I'm just going to go ahead and say it he's not overrated. <laughs> uh I've got him on my underrated team so that would be kind of an oxymoron. Um he, he's <laughs> he's just been better than people realize over the last 3 seasons and I think the Bulls uh they hit a home run. That that trade continues to be really confusing because the return that Washington got on that was just crazy especially when the week before they were uh reportedly rebuffing all offers. So um a smart move for the Bulls front office, um, at least right now, which is something that we haven't been able to say a lot of the last couple of years. Uh so he is my first front court player in the East.
1: I don't think they'd well, I'll say this first. So in his he played forty one games with Washington this year, attempted twenty three pull up three pointers. In his fifteen games with the Bulls, he's attempted twenty eight pull up wow. three pointers. So they've really given him freedom to work with the ball. Percentage on those isn't high, 32.1%, which it's really not terrible. But I am very intrigued to see, if, assuming they keep him in the next season, what he can do with just more freedom on the ball. Will he continue to have that freedom when everyone's healthy? You know, you're looking at Denzel Valentine and Zach Levine and Wendell Carter Jr. and Laurie Markkinen. If they wanted to, though, I don't think they'll do this because I do think Chicago's probably interested In a quicker turnaround, let's say they they get whatever pick they get in this lottery, especially uh, if they win and take uh, Zion. There's going to be some interesting questions there when you have Otto, Wendell Carter Jr., Laurie Markinen and and Zion. I don't know that maybe you could play all four of those guys at the same time, Uh, go positionless with Porter and Zion, basically. I don't know how well that works. But anyway, if they wanted to, they could get more for Otto Porter, I think, on the trade market than the Wizards did when they gave to the Bulls. I think a team would give them a first-round pick this offseason.
0: Which – uh, would be even more of a coup for Chicago if they were able to turn that around, and and it would make some sense for them too, because like I said, they've got um, decent young talent coming up that probably needs to play at those four and five spots. So that would that's that's a really interesting thing to point out.
1: My first front court player um, for the Eastern Conference All Underrated Team, I had Bojan Bogdanovic. He has had just a hell of a season this year. He's turned into, and maybe he's to some extent he's always sort of been this, even when you look at how he played with the Nets and he didn't really get that opportunity to watch him, but he is like this second tier offensive hub. And he's averaging uh over twenty points per thirty-six minutes this season, the highs of his career, shooting almost forty-two percent from three. Doesn't take a lot of pull up three pointers, but he can hit them. Uh he's had some they've experimented with him in Indy, especially since Victor Oladipo went down as uh, a pick and roll ball handler and uh this is what I found interesting. He is in the 89th percentile of efficiency as the pick and roll ball handler, only about 10% of his plays, but shooting better than 50% outside of the pick and roll, doesn't turn it over too frequently where he really turns me though. And this is everything he does on the offensive end is just I, it not everything, but it's really spectacular. I don't think you want him as your first shot creator, but he can be sort of an understated cutter and really fit up beside guys, even if he's not going to be one of the two primary options. But I think his defense is underrated, and I'm not trying to suggest that he's a LeBron stopper, and I'm not trying to say that he is just this great defender, but I I think he's solid. He's a guy where I don't think you look at him and think, you know what, he can play a lot of four. Um, and Indy doesn't play him a ton at the four, but their defense is in the 91st percentile when they do play him at the four. He's also in the 83rd percentile of defense against the pick and roll ball handler. He's just someone who can match up against certain wings and go at them without needing too much help. Or he's going to be able to to just switch in the half court and he's going to be able to cover some smaller guys. Or he's going to be able to body up against certain players in the post, though. He's probably a little bit more, from what I've seen, just a little bit more liable to get overpowered there. This is more of an all-around player than I think that people realize. And even if you just want to say he's an offensive player, uh the numbers here are absurd. So here's every player this season who is clearing 20 points per 36 minutes with um excuse me, they're they're clearing 20 points per 36 minutes and two made threes per 36 minutes with a true shooting percentage better than 60. Um, it's Stephen Curry, Daniel Gallinari, James Harden, Tobias Harris. Kyrie Irving, Carl Anthony Towns, and Bojan Bogdanovich. That's just a guy who is just solid yeah. all around.
0: Yeah, that's uh, good company for Bojan Bogdanovich. You've sold me on him uh, being the next sort of potential combo forward for the Jazz if they miss out on the guys that I'm dying to see. Um, all right, my next front court guy for the East. This is another guy who I think has been underrated for basically most of his career. Um, there are only 11 players in NBA history who match this player's career rebound percentage, assist percentage, steal percentage, and block percentage. Um, he's 45th in the average rankings this season. He's just, um, he never gets a lot of shine, but year in and year out, I think you know exactly what you're going to get with him. And it's another pacer. I went with Thaddeus Young, um, for my second front court player, he's, he's never going to be a 20 point per game scorer. Although I think he came fairly close. Maybe one of those years in Philly, maybe he was at like 17 or 18. Um, yeah, his career high is 17.9 points per game back in 2013, 14. But I think now he's settled into a guy who's going to get you 11, 12 points, five or six rebounds. He's going to play solid defense. Um, he's going to play defense against multiple positions. Um, just sort of another steady presence on my team. Um, and this year he's shooting 35.2% from three, which is a nice um, tick up from his, his career percentage of 32.9. If he is consistently around there for the next few years, I think he's even more uh, of an important sort of uh, combo 3-4 type guy.
1: Yeah, he does everything for them defensively yep. too. He's just he's perennially underrated, another good career underrated guy. My other front court player, well, there's obviously two more, but uh, my second front court player for the East is jetty Osman. His case is it is in part fueled by his recent stretch. This is his last 35 games, 14.6 points, uh 4.7 rebounds, 2.8 assists, and he's shooting 47.5% overall and over 40% from 3. Uh, on five attempts per game and i don't know if he's ever going to be a guy that gets the foul line a ton i don't know if you're going to want him to just aside from putting his head down and maybe driving that you're going to want him to create from scratch but he can make some more difficult shots uh he's not these don't account for a ton of his looks but he's shooting he's only attempted about 20 of them this year 52.6 percent on pull-up threes I don't know if his potential was sort of masked um, because LeBron James was there for his rookie season. I thought at points we thought he was overrated just because he was basically the only young-ish player that the Cavaliers have. He's going to turn 24 in April. But he's going to end up being, I think, a really good offensive player, someone that you can put at every single wing spot. Maybe you don't want to play him at the two too much, but you can get three and specifically power forward minutes from him. Cleveland's young core, I think, is a lot of people remain low on Colin Sexton, but just with the way he's played, um, with how Kevin Love has played at moments, I don't know what they're going to do this off season. but I'm suddenly kind of interested when you bake in this summer's lottery pick to see what happens uh, with w- with the Cavaliers in the future because they just have now some interesting assets, and I think that uh, Jetty Osman is one of them.
0: It's kind of funny. I uh, I followed up your Pacer with a Pacer last time, and now I'm going to follow up your Cavalier with a Cavalier. Um, Larry Nance is my last front court guy. He is 75th in average rankings this season. One thing that's really interesting to me, he has doubled his assist percentage from last season. That's an area of his game that I, I just never really saw uh, developing to this level. I always thought he'd be a nice Swiss Army knife on defense, uh, a good guy to to have finish around the rim, finish on pick and rolls, lobs, that kind of stuff. The fact that he's now a little bit of a creator and passer, um, I think really opens things up for him. As you know, I have a very, um, big soft spot for bigs who can pass and he's now officially part of that group. He's, he's averaging 13 points, 11 rebounds, four assists, two steals, and one block per 75 team possessions. Um, No one in the history of the NBA has ever had a season that matches his 2018-19 rebound percentage, assist percentage, steal percentage, and block percentage. Um, Just a really interesting, multifaceted big man uh, who I I think works pretty well in the modern NBA. I don't. I'm going to look him up real quick too. I should have had this pulled up already, but um, if he adds like a a semi-consistent three-point shot, and he is at 35.2% this year. Um, he's, he, he could have a very interesting and long career ahead of him as well. Just, he just does so many little things. Well, I asked a few weeks ago, why doesn't Larry Nance play more? And a bunch of Cavs fans said, well, we've got to preserve the tank. Um, so hopefully when they start to turn the corner and, and they still have guys like Jetty Osman and, and hopefully Colin Sexton develops and Larry Nance on the team, they could be pretty interesting here in a couple of years.
1: If they broker a buyout with Tristan Thompson over the summer and trade Kevin Love, there should be plenty of minutes available. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my last strong core player for the East is Dwayne Dedman. Not someone who's elite in any area, and I'm I'm using that as a qualifier because I don't know that you're ever gonna be able to build a optimal defense with him and John Collins. He does a lot of what you what you basically need from a big around John Collins where he could space the floor while John Collins rose to the basket, where he can be the role man while John Collins sort of dots up um, and sprays threes. But he's not an elite rim protector. He's just good enough. Not a great switcher, but he can actually hang tight in isolation in space, something that has not been talked about enough dating back to his days in, in San Antonio. But when, you look at, when we look at bigs, and we say that we want them to space the floor, roll the basket, grab rebounds, block shots. Like That's that's ideal. You want to go into the advanced metrics and see that they're an elite rim protector and things like that. But just based on this, and I find this still fascinating because we're talking about a guy here in Dwayne Dedman um, who has played almost 1,500 minutes this season. Here's everyone who is matching uh, Dedman's defensive rebound, steal, and block percentage after making at least 25 three-pointers this year. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Anthony Davis, and that's it. Wow. I don't think he's gonna get insanely paid in free agency. I'm not realizing that I feel like I might have picked a lot of free agents on this list, but who knows. Um He I'm I'm interested to see what he gets. I'm fascinated, which is just a word I use a lot with sort of these free agents. He feels like he could come in and start on a contender and make them appreciably better. Um, maybe not elevate their needle on any one into the floor, but he's just going to fit and make sure that you don't have a ton of weak spots. I could also see the Hawks talking themselves into paying him if they think that they can compete in the Eastern Conference semi-soon, which judging from Travis Schlank, general manager for them, saying he wants to chase bigger name guys, maybe that's something they look they look into this summer. I don't particularly think that he's going to end up staying in Atlanta, but this is someone who is really good and – it, he's just another guy who left San Antonio where I'm like, I wonder how good they would be with him. I mean, him and LaMarcus Aldridge work better to me than him and Jakob Pertle or him and Pau Gasol ever did. Um, maybe not as well as a LaMarcus Aldridge, Rudy Gay. I know that we want to talk about the Spurs playing smaller moving forward. But this, again, if his floor spacing has just come such a long way. He shot pretty well on long twos in San Antonio, but to the point where now that he has made uh, 73 three-pointers on the season. He's actually made more threes than... Anthony Davis and Giannis compete wow. this year. I know that's not yeah. saying too much because of Attentacumpo's struggles and Davis's minutes restriction. At the same time, to lead that group and made threes, I, I just found that super interesting. I am going to, since we are pressed on time, I came up with honorable mentions as second team. Not going to go into them, just going to list them to see what you think. Um, guards for the East, Spencer Dinwiddie, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, for the front court, I have Lou Kennard who's played enough minutes at small forward for me to put him there. So yes, maybe I did stretch that. Thaddeus Young, you already picked him. So I guess there's no qualms there. And then Miles Turner up, up front to round that out.
0: No qualms with any of those. I almost went with Brogdon, um, for one of my guards, but I, I couldn't decide if I wanted to have rookie of the year, be a disqualifier or not. Um, so that's why I went
1: with – Oh, that's – you know what? I didn't even think about that. That's why I went with that, Danny Green gonna,
0: uh, on that because I –
1: I'm, I'm going to allow it just because um, Brogdon has been Yeah, I was year, very much
0: – uh, I, I had pretty much made up my mind that I was going to go with Brogdon and then it dawned on me, oh, yeah, he won Rookie of the Year. um So, yeah, no issues with any of those for sure.
1: um Before we keep moving, we do have to pay the bills. And this this following ad is brought to you from MyBookie. The first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year. Whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champion, predicting first-round upsets, or all of the above, MyBookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with a title? Can Virginia get past its loss to a 16 seed last year? And can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, MyBookie is the place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone. Even you multiple bracket guy. It's like they're talking to Andy <laughs> specifically. My bookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is they pay out fast when you win. I'm talking forty eight hours fast. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash. Deposit with my bookie today with promo code BlueWire for a fifty percent sign up bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. One word. With my bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. All right, that takes us this- how many brackets do you filled? I've out, got Andy?
0: one so far, but there will be more. Um, the uh, the managing partner of the law firm sent out the uh, invite for the firm pool um, yesterday. A law school pool was also sent my way yesterday. I'm probably going to do both of those. I've already filled out my SRS bracket. Um, I have to do a heart bracket for ESPN as well. So I'm I'm looking at at least four this season.
1: You've got some work to do if you've only completed one of those. Though. If I'm
0: going to what?
1: I said, you've got some work to do if you've only completed know, one of those so I know. far.
0: Um, I need to just, w- one of them will be totally like off the cuff, at least one of them. So we can get that one out of the way pretty quick. The SRS one. Those,
1: yourself, don't take Andy's bracket advice <laughs> then. Um,
0: last year I did it. I did one entirely by SRS, which is just um, point differential plus uh, strength of schedule. And it, it did really well. I think it finished in like the 90th percentile or something um, on ESPN. So we'll see how it does this year. It predicts very, very, very few upsets. Um, so that's always a little bit nerve wracking, but we'll see how it does. Um. All right. That brings us to the Western conference and <laughs> my first Western conference guard. You already mentioned him. Um, it's almost become, well, it, not almost. It has become kind of cliche to call this guy underrated. But I went with Mike Conley for my first guard. Here are his numbers over the last three seasons. 23.4 points, 7.1 assists, 3.9 rebounds, 2.7 threes, 1.5 steals uh, per 75 team possessions, 58 true shooting, 4.1 block box plus minus. Uh, can you guess where he is in the average rankings right now? Yeah, just this, this, this season alone.
1: i'm gonna say top 35
0: number 17 okay that's that's really high (laughs) um a guy who is definitely flirting with all nba level play at least by that system um another guy that the jazz missed out on maybe maybe that was like an added criteria for my teams um (laughs) he's just he's so solid year after year after year um I don't know if he'll ever make an all NBA team or an all-star team. It seems like it's just become a running uh, conversation every single year. Is, is he going to get left off again? Um, But a guy who can give you 23 and seven on that level of efficiency, I, I don't, even to this day, it seems like he's still slightly underrated.
1: I mean, it's, I want him to get traded to the Eastern conference over the summer so he could finally make an an all NBA team or an all-star team. That's basically yeah. that with Mike. On. Yeah. And he's running out of time to do it. Like he needs to be traded to the Eastern Conference immediately. Yeah. So get on it, Pistons, <laughs> this summer. Just saying. Uh, my first guard is Derek White. I was sort of reticent to pick a, a sophomore, but there's a when we talk about the Spurs, there are just so many different names that come up, and they're missing DeJounte Murray, who is supposed to be, I've said this many times, their swing prospect. There's a real chance that their swing prospect is Derek White. I asked this question to you last episode. Who's going to have the brighter future or the better career, Murray or White? I don't think that you could decidedly say White, but he's closer to that level than people realize. And this is the splits I did on him. And I'm so impressed what he could do defensively. He might end up being, although this isn't filtered in, one of the better shot-blocking guards or just rim-protecting guards in the NBA as his career develops. But here is... Every rookie or sophomore in NBA history um, who has averaged at least fourteen points, five assists, five rebounds, and one three-point make per thirty-six minutes. Again, sophomore or rookies: Jason Kidd, Steve Francis, Karis LeVert, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Mark Jackson, and Derek White. That's Steve Francis did it twice. By the way, He's the only one on this list who did it twice as a rookie and a sophomore. Uh, Viva La Playing for the Houston Rockets in those years. He was years amazing for,
0: for the first few years I, of his career. He was incredible was that, for the first few years of his career.
1: I remember how hyped people were when the Knicks traded for him and had Marbury in the backcourt as well. That was a great dysfunctional Knicks team. Um, that's that's just really some ridiculous company, and I could see him getting to the point where maybe the Spurs don't ever unleash him as this high-volume three-point shooting guy, but I think he could end up hitting a ton of tough shots um, as a pull-up three-point creator. Uh, he's already a really good defender. They could be looking at, and uh, this might be overselling his defensive ceiling. And you could tell me if I'm wrong. If you have Murray and him, you might have two all defense guards on your roster. That's that's insane because it never. You could talk about teams that might have it up front. You know, Thaddeus Young, Miles Turner, that type deal. I don't think it happens a ton in the backcourt, and so. That's something that's really interesting. Murray has to get better as a floor spacer, I guess, if you want them to play together because it's not like Derek White uh, is setting the world on fire from three, thirty-five point three 35.3%. But that's a backcourt that I'm going to be monitoring, assuming they play a ton of minutes together moving forward.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really solid pick. Um, the Spurs are once again making me look kind of dumb. They beat the Warriors last night and they're, they're looking more and more like a real tough out in the playoffs.
1: Uh, Imagine – I don't know which team. The Western Conference playoff picture is a mess. Uh, Right now, they're slated for seventh, So let's just say they play the Nuggets. Imagine being the Nuggets, winning like 53, 55, 56 games, whatever it ends up being, and your reward. You make the playoffs for the first time in a few years, the first time with this core specifically, and then you have to face Coach Pop in the first round. That just sucks.
0: Pretty ridiculous. Um, All right, I'm going to do a blind uh, taste test for you for my uh, second guard. You ready for this?
1: I'm going to feel like one of your – (laughs) Dumbass <laughs> Twitter followers
0: now, aren't I? No, I don't think you will. Um player A, 23.2 points, 4.2 rebounds, two and a half assists, uh, five seventy-four true shooting percentage. Um, and those those basic numbers were per seventy five possession. So 23.2 points, 4.2 rebounds, two and a half assists, 1.2 steals per 75 with a 574 true shooting percentage. Player two <clears throat> or player B, <laughs> uh A2. I sound like the kid from Home Alone. Um, Buddy Hield. <laughs> Jeez! Wow.
1: Did you just ruin it? I did. Answer, let's so.
0: let's uh let's not edit that out so everybody can laugh at me. Um,
1: All right, fair enough.
0: Wow. <laughs> Player B slash Buddy Hield: twenty two point seven points, five point six rebounds, two point six assists, zero point seven steals, with a five ninety true shooting percentage. Now that I've already ruined it, I'm just gonna say that's Buddy Hield versus Clay Thompson. Um, And I've actually already done that poll on Twitter, and Heald, I'm pretty sure, won that one in a landslide. That doesn't encapsulate what Clay Thompson does on offense, obviously, but uh, Buddy Heald has been ridiculous, especially on on the offensive end this season. He is my uh, second guard in the West.
1: He can do so much more, and he was someone I consider. He can do so much more than just shoot. There's some stuff he can do off the dribble. I don't know how good he's ever going to be defensively, but uh that that's just a that's a solid pick. And what he can do the way he just bends defenses with the shooting period is if you watch the Kings is just absolutely mm-hmm. absurd. Um I don't know if you're gonna like this pick. Oh uh, I do. I, but it is from the Oh yeah. Oh you do? Okay. I'm well you didn't pick him so I'm just I was like wow Andy must I thought maybe there was a chance that you might. Uh I I went with Royce O'Neal who his playing time sometimes seems like it might fluctuate uh on the jazz and he doesn't play a ton of minutes he's under uh 25 games for for the season uh, under 20 minutes per game for the season excuse me that's a hell of a, a misspeak there he just seems like when you talk about guys that you really just want to you know you want them to shoot a fairly high percentage from 3 you want them to work on defense if they can grab some rebounds for you that's that's great he seems like he's that guy i wish he could turn the ball over less and score more efficiently when he's sort of the uh, pry, Murray ball handler, but I, I don't know how much more you want from a, a role player, and just one of the more understated ones with Utah at this point. I'm almost maybe they go through this more in the playoffs. Like, forget Ricky Rubio, let's go with Donovan Mitchell and, and Royce O'Neill as a majority um of our minutes, and he is. Uh, if you look at just guards this season, um, here's all of them who are matching, um excuse me, Royce O'Neill's true shooting percentage, defensive rebound percentage, steal percentage, or block percentage, or, or coming close to matching since it's not perfect. James Harden, and that would be it. That's – I don't know what else to say. That's just really like um, – and Royce O'Neal has played some some even three. So you're looking at a guy that's just – I think he stands up against some of those bigger wings, and he's 6'6". I kind of wonder if he's smaller than that sometimes, uh, but that's just – Again, it's probably a small sample all-star, but he could be maybe sort of a turning point for them or a tipping point for them in a playoff series. Again, if he's ever able to... I know he's tried him as a pick-and-roll ball handler. If he could turn the ball over less in those situations or just score a little bit more efficiently when he's working off the dribble, he becomes a dream.
0: Um, have you ever looked at his numbers when he played overseas?
1: I can safely say that I have um,
0: not. His last season over in Europe before Utah signed him. He averaged 8.3 points, 5.2 rebounds, 2.1 assists, um shot 45% from the field and 35% from 3. And the reason I bring that up is for for Dennis Lindsey to to look at those kind of numbers overseas and and sign him. Um that that was just a brilliant basketball find. He he has been so much better than I ever could have imagined with the Jazz. I remember when they first signed him, I thought, who? And I looked up his <laughs> – I looked him up. I looked at these international numbers. I thought, what are they thinking? Um, but he he has just been stellar for them for two seasons now. Uh, just,
1: and they have his non-guaranteed salary next year, I think, is $1.7 million. So they just – they yeah. have him on such Talk a Talk about – yeah,
0: I mean, that's, that's just – such a nice thing to have if you're building a team if you can have a rotation guy that's that's as good as Royce O'Neal for that little um it just makes everything else so much easier
1: and he's probably that nice I'm not saying they should but he turns 26 in June and given his salary for next season you have his bird rights afterwards if they're making a trade for a high end player he's someone that I don't think makes it but when you look at other picks probably aren't going to place too high, Grayson Allen hasn't panned out. You don't know what Dante Exum is, particularly after this injury. He becomes a nice little trade asset for them. i not saying they should move him, but if they're talking Mike Conley, true holiday yeah. type trades, uh, he's an interesting piece for those things sure. to consider.
0: My first front court player in the West, um, I caught a lot of crap over this guy a couple of days ago, and I probably should have, um, <laughs> Danilo Gallinari. He is 87th in NBA history in career offensive box plus minus, and he's 61st all-time in career offensive win shares per 48 minutes. Um, He's 28th in average rankings this season. I feel like most of the love for the Clippers has gone to Montrezl Harrell, Lou Williams. um, I think Patrick Beverly's gotten a lot of it, and I think all those guys deserve it. The Clippers have... Definitely exceeded uh, expectations, especially since the all-star break or, or since the trade deadline, I should say. Um, but I think perhaps the most steady guy on the team has been Danilo Gallinari, who's putting up 19.4 points in just 30 minutes a game, um, shooting 44% from three, 90% from the line. He has just been ridiculous offensively this season. He has a true shooting percentage of 631 Um He's just been a monster all year long. And I think it's really unfortunate uh, that so much of his career was sapped by injuries, uh, but he's been mostly healthy this season. So hopefully he's, he's in his age 30 season. Um, hopefully he can stay healthy and have sort of a late prime here in his early 30s. If he can replicate this level of production for two or three years, I, I think people will look at his career a lot differently than they did even a couple of years ago.
1: I don't know at this point. The Clippers might be at the point where they might exhaust every other salary dump before going here for two max slots. But Danilo Gallinari, because of his salary next season, makes the most sense if they end up getting two superstars. You move him. Move him and to the Jazz. There for. That's what I'm saying. I don't. I mean, there's the Jazz, but like, what other teams might pony up for him? Uh, Indiana could be a good fit. I just feel like there are so many teams that it might not even. It's not even a matter of will absorb his salary. It's we'll give you a first round pick for him. Maybe. At this point. And so such an underrated season. I I vacillated between, and I won't spoil the name of who I ultimately went with, and I'm glad you mentioned him though. Uh when I was doing my second team honorable mentions, I put Gallo on there. He had an all-star case this season. I know they talked about Tobias Harris, but he had an all-star case um himself. My my first front court player for the West stretched the boundaries a little bit, but he has per clean the glass, played enough time at small forward to make me feel good about it. Uh Malik Beasley, just filling in the gaps for what seemed to be an underwhelming wing rotation in Denver this year. Uh, The Nuggets have him guarding both guard spots, but he's also taking on some forwards. And he's really just an ideal fit for a Nikola Jokic-powered offense. Most of his shots come without taking a dribble. He's flashed some just pull-up shot creation, though, in certain moments. And now, all of a sudden, this is a guy that you look at and say – you know, when I was coming up with trades last year, just because he wasn't playing a lot, he was like often the throwing piece for me when I was coming up with hypotheticals for Denver. But he looks like he might have played his way into their future. And he's gone through a little bit of a shooting slump um, after the All Star break, uh, but he's still shooting uh, 42.1% on 7.5 three point attempts for 36 minutes. This is also what caught me too. Doesn't get to the foul line, shooting almost 90%. He's also hitting 57.4% of his two pointers. And he's shooting 74.2% at the rim where more than a fifth of his shots come. This is just a super efficient offensive player. And he's more Danny Green. I'm not saying he's at the same level defensively. But you probably don't want him on traditional wings before you put him on guards, but that he has that positional versatility at the defensive end. I mean, we, we talked about how the Nuggets' core is just running away with the best youthful base in the NBA, and he's become a pivotal part yeah. of that.
0: Um, the, the- development or the steps or whatever you want to call it that he and monty morris have taken this season is uh talk about an embarrassment of riches for denver because everybody was already i think pretty high on their young backcourt of jamal murray and gary harris and now they have like a facsimile of it right behind him with uh morris and and uh Beasley. they're they're in great shape
1: and he is one of those guys where the fit really matters because you look at him and say and says you know he doesn't create for others he's not a great rebounder, but it's like he doesn't need to do those things on Denver. Maybe in a different role he could. I don't know if a team would take a chance on him. Uh, he's going to be a restricted free agent, not this summer, but next, unless Denver extends him. He's an interesting case because what do you extend him with if, if he's willing to sign one, If sign an extension this summer?
0: Uh, ask that again.
1: I'm just saying he's an interesting extension uh, okay. eligible case this year because he, he hasn't played too many NBA minutes, but it's his third season. Yeah. He's extension eligible. What do you give him? Because there is a chance that just what we know about teams and how they become infatuated with wings. If he has another good year, that's someone who can make a ton yeah. of money in restricted free agency. They might want to lock him
0: up early. Um, he's He's been that good for them. My second front court player in the West is Derek Favors. We, uh, we knew this one was coming. Um, he is 35th in average rankings this season. He's averaging 18 points, 11 rebounds, and two blocks per 75 team possessions has a 619 true shooting percentage. The fit with him and Rudy Gobert is still a little bit wonky. Um, like I said earlier in this episode, uh, things just seem to open up and run a little bit smoother when Gobert is playing next to one of those combo forwards like Jay Crowder or even Tabo Cifalosha. Um But to have a guy who I think is undoubtedly a starting caliber center, willing to play such a funky role, um, where he just plays a couple minutes a game with the starters and then spends the bulk of his time as a backup center. I I think it's a heck of a luxury for the jazz to have. And we talked about his inability to carry second units earlier in the season. I I should have looked up these numbers. I wonder if they've been better in the second half. It sure feels like those Joe Ingalls, Derek favors led lineups with the, with the bench have been better of late. I know that the Ingalls favors pick and roll has, has had some nice chemistry here in the last few weeks. Um, He's, he, I, I've been the guy banging the drum as hard as anybody that they need to get more of a modern combo forward to start at the four next to Rudy Gobert favors has been so ridiculous this season that he's starting to make me uh wonder about that position.
1: 16.9 million dollar price point for his non-guarantee is expensive. But if you think if you're going to eventually segue him into just a backup five and maybe you still start him, but you yank him really early. It might just be someone you hold on to. And to your point, on the season, are you Let's ready for right. this? When Derek Favors and Joe Ingles play without Donovan Mitchell and Ruby Gobert, the Jazz's offensive rating one twelve point two, defensive rating ninety nine point one, so it's a thirteen point one point differential, and they've played over a thousand possessions.
0: That's a lot scenarios. better than I would have guessed, even.
1: And do you know what the Jazz can get? This is they can't. They could. There would have to be other moves they make, but they can. They could get a ton of cap space, I'll say. I won't go into the – they want Max. There's other moves they have to do. They could keep him and still get a ton of cap space to where you make a lopsided trade and can you know take back Mike Conley and Drew Holiday's salary without sending out equal value, which would help those teams in theory send them uh, to Utah. So if you want to keep Derek Favors and then you're saying, you know what, this might be an overpay for the role we want him – to play but then we can lock him up if this works on a smaller deal after next season because again those lineups with Joe Ingles and Favors have been absolutely destroyed. There people. was
0: some speculation in the uh, good old SLC dunk thread about maybe even restructuring his contract now like a couple of the guys thought he might be the kind of player who's just so comfortable in Utah and really likes Quinn Snyder that he might opt for a longer term deal at a lower price point um, so that would be that would obviously help Utah a lot. I'm not sure how feasible that is, but we have seen players in the past restructure before their contracts expire. So that would be interesting. I mean, if he.
1: I mean, they could also just waive him and then use cap space to
0: to bring him back. Uh,
1: if they renounce him, I actually have to look at the CBA on that. But yeah, that's a good point. I don't know if I'd want to get into him long term, though, just because everything we've seen is that it feels like there's a cap on the Gobert favor ceiling. And maybe that depends on how well they do in the playoffs. If they
0: could, if they could use their Um, cap space to get like, like I said, Gallinari um, and favors is still willing to come back and play like even fewer minutes. Uh, I know that's a big ask, but if he's willing to play like 20 minutes a game, um, that, that then they're pretty ridiculous.
1: Yeah. And that's the trade they can still make again, if it's, uh, Gallinari, Holiday, Conley, whatever, they'll, they'll still have plenty of room with favors on the books. So that's a good position for them to be in. And his contract's not guaranteed until the yeah. 6th of July, I believe. And so while that's early into free agency, by that point you have a hold on how yeah. far your tap space is actually going to take you. My second front court player for the West, Jeremy Grant, who, um, couple interesting, uh, quick notes on him. Here is every player who is averaging at least five rebounds per 36 minutes. One block per thirty six minutes, fourteen points per thirty six minutes, and at least one three pointer per thirty six minutes, while matching Jeremy Grant's three point percentage. He's shooting thirty seven point nine percent from deep. So let's say anyone who's shooting with those qualifiers at least thirty seven percent from three. Nikola Nikola Vucevic, Miles Turner, namandra uh, Bielica, Karl Anthony Towns, and he really shouldn't qualify for this, but I can't believe that he does. Daniel Tice. <laughs> That's Jeremy Grant has been so much better on offense when he gets up for lobs too. And he just has chemistry with anyone, whether it's Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Raymond Felton, Dennis Schroeder. It just seems like he fits beside them. What I'm more, I don't know if I'm impressed by, but I think still gets a little bit undersold. is his defensive versatility. He can defend basically anyone. And so they're going to primarily use him on um, combo forwards or bigs. These are the 16 players that he has guarded most this year. Um, by total possessions. And I say 16 because it's the fift- 15th place was tied. T.J. Warren, Gallo, Jay Crowder, Harrison Barnes, P.J. Tucker, Al Farouk Amanute, Derek Favors, Taj Gibson, Paul Millsap, Aaron Gordon, Bealita, Markin, Marvin Bagley, Dario Saric, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Marvin Williams. Now, these guys, they're shooting uh, almost 50% against uh, Jeremy Grant when we're just looking at the raw shot totals, but the Thunder as a team. When Jeremy Grant is defending one of these players are allowing under 1.04 points per possession. And so those assignments, they're not really easy. I know that we automatically look to, well, who's defending the LeBron Jameses and the Giannis Attentacumpos? But you're looking at some guys where um, they can play bully ball. There's someone who's super crafty like Paul Millsap. TJ Warren and Gallo are actual wings. Um... What, I know you have to deal with some standstill guys like, you know, a, a Jay Crowder, but he can still move really well off the ball. Even Aaron Gordon, they have him attacking off the dribble at points. That's a wide range of defensive assignments. And I still think that while I love Stephen Adams, one of Oklahoma City's postseason cheat codes is going to be let's give Jeremy Grant more minutes at the five this year and see where that takes us. Because, again, he has that versatility to be your primary rim protector, but he can also get out and, and chase around these guys. So, uh, the last thing I'll say on him, and I, you probably know this number, his average rank. I looked at your doc and catchalls, fifty fifth yeah. in the league this year. That's absurdly high for someone that I think Oklahoma City looks at as maybe there. He has to be their fourth best player behind Russ, Paul George, and Stephen Adams. I'm not sure if people look at him as that on the roster. Yeah, though.
0: that's a good call, and that's even higher than I would have guessed for the average ranking. Um, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to redeem myself from the blind. Comp that I botched earlier. Um, and I'm not gonna do a comp. I'm just gonna read you this guy's numbers and uh let him sink in without hearing the name. 20 and a half points, 13.8 rebounds, 4.3 assists, 1.8 blocks, and 1.3 steals per 75 team possessions. Um he is let's see here, 15th on the most recent average rankings. Uh, a guy that I don't think anybody would would be quick to consider top fifteen to twenty player in the NBA. I'll, I'm just going to rattle off those numbers again: twenty one points, fourteen rebounds, four assists, almost two blocks, and a steal a game. I mean, just absurd. Not a game per seventy five possessions. Um, just absurd numbers. And the guy is Yusuf Nurkic. Um. Well,
1: I was going to say, I hope you don't ask me because I knew when I looked at it last night to see if there was anyone in the top 20 that stood out and he continues to be Um, that guy.
0: I I think clearly the second best player on the Blazers this season with all due respect to CJ McCollum. And even by a couple numbers, like box plus minus, um, I'm pretty sure Nurkic is ahead of Lillard uh, the last time I checked. Uh, Bucks plus minus seems like another one that kind of favors bigs. So take that with a grain of salt and, and Lillard's um, average rank is ninth. So he is ahead of Nurkic, but he has just been unbelievable this season. Uh, Scoring, rebounding, protecting the rim. And then the passing, Uh, like I said earlier, I I love passing big men, And the fact that he's averaging over four assists per 75 possessions is just really impressive. I, I think passing big men open up so many things. For so many different teams, and I'm i I talked about the I can't remember. I think it's Denver Stiffs is the SB Nation um, Nuggets blog, and they had me write a guest post about Jokic a little bit ago, um, and I I really think that he has sort of opened the eyes of people around the league of of what a passing big can do for you, and I think a lot more teams are trying to run stuff through their big men, and it's been really. I, I think it's helped this offensive revolution um, that the NBA is going through over the last couple of years. And, and Nurkic is one of those guys who I, I think is more of a playmaker than most people realize.
1: Yeah, he's been fantastic this season. And I don't—I know the catch-alls love him, but he's one of those guys where I don't know if he's quite that third star for Portland. That said, if he's going to play like this, I do think their postseason ceiling and he's probably become underappreciated on what he's able to do defensively for them. I'm even someone who said last year that he might be more a product of Portland's scheme. I would gladly walk that back at this point. So he's been great this year. I think that's a really solid pick. My final front court player uh, is Montrez Harrell. I mentioned him before. He's just, I don't think people realize this. And this is probably the thing that I can point out most about him. The Clippers like to post him up now. He's shooting like it's not insane percentage it's, I think it's better than 50% on post ups when I last looked it up. But He's getting almost four post ups per game. And so like this is someone that they trust to actually do stuff. And he's uh opponents are shooting under 56% against him at the rim. That's not a great number but for the volume that he's faced um 300 and something shots at the rim and he's a guy who's undersized. I think they list him at 69 if he is if he's i think he's if he's six seven I'm gonna give him a round of applause for that um and maybe they list him at six eight so to be able to get by with him playing center he's he's really scary as just this like high energy player he I, I, he feels like he doesn't feel like he is a very good cutter uh he's a solid role man his screens scare me. The thing I looked up about him as a cutter, by the way, he's averaging 1.41 points per possession um, as a cutter this season, shooting 71.4% on those looks. That's in the 77th percentile. Um, gets fouled a ton in those situations, really doesn't turn the ball over. And so he just fits that high energy, hustle player. I do think your your rebounds are going to hurt with him as your five man, but he watching him, I really just, I get like, I just get exhausted because it's a form of exercise that's what i'll say watching montrez harrell <laughs> is a form of exercise so that counts if anyone hasn't gone to the gym lately just watch Montres harrell play basketball he is in the catch-all rankings on average 30th yeah, this season crazy. 30th that's it's like a Joseph Nurkic type situation where it's okay he's clearly not the 30th best player in the league but that's he's just part of that clippers punch you in the stomach mentality and i do not envy Unless it's the Warriors, they could really hurt someone in the playoffs. And maybe if it's even the Warriors, maybe Golden State feels that first round series wins it in five yeah. games, but still just feels. I, it.
0: I could definitely see that that bench um, that he and Lou Williams anchors is just a ton of fun to
1: watch. And that's that's the other thing. So the Clippers bench has the second highest point differential in the league per hundred possessions, behind only Indy. He Harold almost wouldn't have qualified for this, but I feel like his six men of the year case has kind of fallen off because of Lou Williams, Sabonis. Um, some other guys. I and even the most improved candidates like Pascal Siakam, Sabonis again, De'Aaron Fox. So all of a sudden it feels like he's found fallen by the wayside. He's just been yeah, through and through all for year sure. for the Clippers. And before we go, I'll read you my second team picks. Derek Favors was on it. You already picked him. I had, that's the front court. Another front court was Al Farouk There's a chance if I'm building my yeah, if I'm building my all defense teams, I might put him on the second team this year. I haven't decided yet. Um Bogdan Baganovich was my other one, uh, for second team in the front court my back court here is monte morris so that'll excite nuggets fans i didn't put him first you could have easily made a case over royce o'neill but i feel like he's gotten a ton of shine especially with isaiah thomas falling out of the rotation and i had buddy healed as well you put him in your actual team but i had two kings in my I second team,
0: gone, so uh,
1: kings fans please yeah, do not get mad at i
0: should have gone with monte morris instead of the the obvious mike conley i think that would have been better um because monte morris has been ridiculous this season uh Ryan Blackburn I think he's from Denver Stiffs too recently said um he just sort of mentioned off the cuff that Morris has been better than Jamal Murray this season uh and I at first I thought what and then I kind of looked into it and and there really is an argument that Monty Morris has been better than Jamal Murray this season so again
1: probably all around it's just that Murray has that. Yeah, and that's, star what he, that, that's what he that's what he said in his tweet Monte too. Knows.
0: Was Murray is still the guy that you want to build around because he's got he's got the higher ceiling. Um, so yeah, I, I think he agreed with that same sentiment. But again, the fact that the Nuggets have Murray and Harris, and then all of a sudden they have Morris and, and Beasley behind them is just crazy. Um, all four of those guys work so well with it's, Jokic.
1: It's funny that you left Monte Morris off for Mike Conley because I wrote and when I was ranking the NBA's best young cores, I said watching Monte Morris is at times like taking in a taller, slightly more reserved icon. There you go. So basically you picked both of them, I think.
0: That that wraps us up with our uh, all underrated teams for 2018-19. If you want to uh, hit us up about any of our selections or give us some of your own, find us on Twitter. Dan is at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. Um, you can also find Blue Wire Pods. I think it's just at Blue Wire Pods um, for for links to our podcast as well as several others. This isn't just an NBA network either. There's a lot of NFL coverage as well. Um, the network is growing and growing and growing, and we're excited to be a part of it. Um, as always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already done that, make sure you share it with your friends and family um, to brighten their lives and their days. Um, and until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Kyle Anderson and Ben Oudry.